Welcome back, everybody, to the uh, fourth episode of the uh, still untitled Arts Fuse podcast. We haven't received any suggestions, and I also haven't told you where to send any suggestions, so that could be one of the reasons why we don't have any suggestions. It's possible. But we are working on it. Uh, we've got a an army of uh, elves that are actually digging away in uh, some fecund territory for really, really good pods <laughs> podcast titles. Don't ask me where we found them. Ed. Paid fair minimum wage with benefits. We would probably lose our 501c3 status if we revealed any more details. They're but so I'm tired of representing the Lollipop Kids that they decided to. <laughs> Sorry, it's the Lollipop Guild. If they're going to... You know, and also the guild the guilds weren't even all that progressive let's not even kid ourselves <laughs> which actually feeds right into the theme of the show it does indeed yeah. let me just remind everybody who who's here and who we are uh i'm lucas i'm here with matt hansen hi everybody and the editor-in-chief of the arts fuse as well as its founder bill marks hello all we're going to talk a little bit about a play that if you're listening in the boston area you've definitely probably heard about if you care about reading about drama and, and and arts and if you're listening then you probably do it's a play called the niceties that's playing at the calderwood pavilion for the rest of this week as of the time of this recording it's a huntington theater company it production. is produced by the huntington theater company in association with the manhattan theater club and the mccarter theater center the niceties is written by uh, boston native playwright eleanor burgess it's directed by kimberly senior and it stars Lisa Baines as the character Janine, a uh, sort of uh, baby boomer professor at a liberal arts or a liberal university or college in Connecticut. So it's pretty much Yale. She has pl- started an elite college, no less. An elite college, no mm-hmm. less. She started a ton of stuff on Broadway, and you probably also know her as the uh, kooky mom who likes flowers from six feet under. Oh my God! Oh. I knew I'd seen her somewhere. Six Feet Under is where you saw her, probably. Oh, I used to love Six Feet Under. She's the teacher. She's the, the tenured professor, the liberal academic. And it also stars uh, Jordan Boatman as Zoe. And I didn't write down what she was in. I'm sorry, Zoe. I'm sorry, Jordan. <laughs> a lot of plays. She seemed to have done a lot of theater. From yeah. I, remember. I mean, she's, you know, she wasn't a newcomer. I mean, she had a lot of, she right. had a lot of technique. <clears throat> and the play basically is... It's it's a two-hander, which is a, a term that's new to me. I like that term. What is that term from? Uh, well, that's just I don't know where it's from. It's an old term that when I started working, you know, writing on the theater in the '80s, it was called a two-hander, meaning those are plays where you just have two, you know, you just have two characters. Sometimes there might be a walk-on or two, or there'll be a vo- you know some sort of voiceover. But the idea is that you know it's just between two characters, so you can keep the budget pretty low, right? So, and I mean, it really just you concentrate on those two figures. I've heard the term elsewhere. It was kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. Right, so it's a two-hander, which means there's two people in the play, and it's just them talking in a room, which is more or less what drama is, according to some people. So the the play stars uh, the, these two people, and they are a student at an elite liberal college in New England, which is more or less uh, It's Yale. definitely based at Yale. It's definitely yeah. Yale, and yeah. it, the play is actually based on a real event that did take place at Yale, and the action takes place entirely in the professor's office sort of an attic uh, office it's kind of an enclosed space i kind of like how they did that there's an awning right above her that right, puts her yeah. in a little bit of a crouch well, they want to make it a little claustrophobic so mm-hmm. you know i mean they, they it's it's pretty much of a debate between these two characters so the idea is whatever they can do to sort of emphasize whatever suspends tension and sort of visceral connection they can i mean they're obviously not going to go out and sort of tackle one another and you know punch each other out but if you can put them in a place that's more enclosed 
then it does get the idea that they're sort of trapped. And there is that element of being trapped in the, sh in, in the show to the extent that when the student, you know, tapes what's going on between them and then s hits send, then you, the, 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 the professor is trapped. Oh, yeah, by absolutely. Her own words. There's a lot of verbal entrapment. There's the, the, the entrapment of argument and the sense of like, and this is something that I think was really like powerful about the play and in terms of watching it, bringing the drama, bringing the, uh, the intensity was the whole idea of when you're arguing about something with someone, eventually you start to kind of have to justify something that you haven't totally thought through yet or that you get caught in something you've only sometimes agreed with and then other times you might have a different opinion about. It's that sense of like, here's what you said and... I'm challenging you directly on that, which is not usually how people argue. Usually people argue in monologue. Okay, but this is also a student and a teacher, too. Right. And that changes the dynamic a lot. Certainly. Who Me needs something? Who needs something? Um, sometimes I feel that the Zoe character, it's in the beginning, it's as if she wants to get a better, you know, she wants a better grade because she has a, he has a scholarship going. And then that seems to be forgotten about midway through because she's saying things and doing things. Does she have a scholarship? She talks about, as I recall... Needing a good grade in oh, this class because no, there's, it was, there's it was, something at stake in order for her to win or get some sort it was of some monetary kind of, return. It was some kind of internship yes. or, or, oh, or right, graduate yeah. thing. Right? All right. Because, because speaking of, of, of scholarship, it's actually quite important later on. That we'll, we'll get to this soon. Is the fact that there is a class dimension between the, the student and the teacher that is somewhat of like a, I suppose it's supposed to subvert our expectations, which it doesn't exactly do. But Zoe, the student, is actually comes from a wealthy background. And the teacher comes from a very much a working class background. There are a couple of things, though, that we too. haven't covered just yet, is that identity plays a huge role in this play. And the reason why that is the case is because Zoe is a young black student and Janine is an older white woman. Both are women. And Zoe has written a paper in which she argues that the revolution or this, uh, yeah, the, revo the American Revolution could have never happened if it hadn't been for the fact that nobody gave a shit about abolishing slavery from the get-go. It's a materialist cr critique. I happen to think it's true. She's, she's writing this paper for a history class that is about revolutions themselves, and one of the things she mentioned at the beginning is that every revolution has two phases, essentially. is One is a sort of moderate bourgeois phase, whether it's the French Revolution or even the Soviet Revolution in um, uh, 1917, you have these two phases, the moderate sort of liberal bourgeois phase of a revolution, then you have a radical phase that follows it. American Revolution never had a radical phase. Zoe's point in her paper is that the radical phase would have been the emancipation of slavery because the people that were most oppressed in society at the time didn't have the opportunity or the means or the capabilities to actually rise up and do the radical phase. So that had had that been the case, there would have been a completely radical different you know type of America than we have now, which is a, a compelling and interesting thing to think about history, and I happen to think it's true. Janine likes the idea at first. She thinks it's bold, and she appreciates Zoe turning the paper in early. Obviously, Zoe's extracurriculars have her very busy and all kind of stuff, but it's not as you might expect at the beginning because she has, you know, a job as opposed to some other rich student that doesn't have a job. It turns out she is a rich student that doesn't have a job, but she's very involved in uh, campus politics, which... Apparently, according to most publications like the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Atlantic, and the New Yorker, are the worst people on the face of the earth, are people that are involved in any sort of campus activism. Uh, the trouble <laughs> starts, though, with Janine then saying, oh, well, it's definitely not done, because Zoe wants it to be done because she needs to move on with her life and all that kind of stuff, which is also a way that students, I think, think a little bit more now than they used to. They're not really worried about 
Like everybody wants an extension. Schedules don't mean anything. All that kind of stuff. They feel like they're professionalized really early on. It's I'm taking this class because I need to get the degree that will get me the job that will get me the life, rather than I'm interested in exploring early 20th century American history. And Zoe more or less spells that out too. I need to get I need to get a B plus at the very least so I can maintain a GPA so I can right. get this thing. Right. So but I mean, she's being provocative there by doing what she's doing. Her argument is obviously going to hit this professor's hot buttons. It's a little unbelievable. It's unbelievable to me that she wouldn't know coming in there that she wouldn't be getting into a bit of a, a hassle with her because she's basically, what can we say, denying or at least contradicting some of the things that, that Janine's talking about in terms of her theory of revolution. She can't really accept what Zoe's saying. She ha- or, or she has to say, well, yes, the slaves were not freed, but we got democracy. There's the, there's the trade-off, right? We, you know, we wouldn't have had democracy without it. So I can't believe she wouldn't have known that. I mean, that's part of it that part of the play that seems touch a touch contrived you know that she came in as a provocateur but we're sort of led to believe that oh i'm just writing this paper and i want to get it done and i want to get my you know get my grade and she doesn't seem interested in really doing any more work on it you know i mean that's part of it it's like i've got it here get you know give me what you think what you think and then give me your grade so i can move on but i can't believe that there isn't I mean, it isn't really shown in this play, really, but um, that there isn't some sort of unconscious, uh, you know, aggression, her own sort of microaggression going on here by assaulting Janine with that. I just can't believe that she'd have that kind of an argument and Janine would just go, hey, sound, so, hey, contradicted my class, sounding great to me. You get an A. I think Zoe doesn't think that she's missing the point. It's only until later in the play when Janine says, you've missed the entire point of my class, which is that revolutions suck. People die, people get hurt, they're violent, they're bloody, uh, they're not solved in any sort of democratic process. I mean, so be it. I mean, that's why it's a revolution. Is you've usually exhausted a number of other means before you've gotten to that point. But I, I do believe Zoe would have that attitude as, as, as essentially a millennial talking to a boomer who has, and, and then the millennial having a very radical somewhat she's not a radical that's that's basically the, the reason why we're having this podcast this is i think she's not and some people think that she is you think the teacher is not radical i don't think either of them are you don't yeah. think either of them are lucas Let's actually think either of them are, are radicals but I, so but but, that, but now would be a good moment to do some little bit a little bit of context so we all saw the play lucas and i saw it together you saw it separately bill wrote a review of it in the arts views on his own and then uh, lucas wrote a review of his own as well that just came up a couple days ago and which is the kind of thing I love in the arts views. Yeah. It was less of a, of a review than sort of a, you know, he did he did agree with most of my review, which is nice, but he wouldn't have to. I mean, it could have sure. been taking me on. But the idea is more of a sort of a commentary on the show, right. raising issues that maybe I'd raised or that other critics had raised and then taking them a little further. So I love that, and I love putting it in. And it's so, one of the reasons why the arts views is good, is, is worthwhile and valuable in itself. I, it's not about promoting the play in the sense that we're dying to have people see it, though I think the fact that all three of us are interested in talking about it shows that it's worth seeing. But we're not there to promote it. We're there to discuss it and to uh, analyze it and to to debate on to what, what it's about. I mean, so I just I, want to give people I mean, a, to make a it clear, I think Lucas and I both agreed that this play got a lot of ballyhoo and a lot of praise, partly because it was seen as sort of millennial radical taking on the sort of moderate liberal establishment and oh my God, you know, this is finally, you know, we're grasping some sort of contemporary political, interesting political issues, what's happening. And I think Lucas and I both sort of agree that that's not really the case. I mean, maybe I'm a little bit more than Lucas to the extent that at least we do have a sort of millennial rebel yell there, but I do agree that it's limited. 
And it, because it's a two-hander, in my review, I said that became part of the problem because it's always going to between, by necessity, it's going to be between the, the professor and the student, even though the issues might be larger. Uh, I would have liked the second act where we brought in a couple of other characters and pay, you know, had a larger, you know, you'd have to have a production with more actors and go up the food chain because it seems to me the next logical thing going on once they have their, you know, they have their standoff and the, the tape is released and the uh, professor loses her, or at least is suspended and is in danger of losing her job, is that I want to go up to the admin. You know, I want to go up the food chain. Let's see what the real power brokers are going to make of this and what what we're going to see about their, you know, cowardice, their their strategy, how they're going to handle it, because that's where we're going to see how the current system works, right? When you have an interruption, right? When you have an explosion, how do we dampen it? And that was sort of the part of the play which I would have liked to have seen developed rather than just having a second act where they simply come back and seem to me go over, chew over some of the same territory with Janine finally looking like the real, vil you know, being located as the villain, you know, like at the end going, you do know I will have to destroy you now in order to save my job, you know, that sort of, you know, giving her that look. It's probably worth mentioning that the second act is like 38 minutes long or, or even less. Like they didn't even need a, an intermission in a second act. They could have just like cut the lights and then come right back. It felt like end. a one act. And, and that's why it seemed to me you could have combined that one act. And just structurally, I would have loved to, have, even if you just, just take it out, broaden it out, bring in other characters, bring in other context, move up, as I say, the food chain. Let's look at the structure. But part of the, I don't want to say the, the limitation of a play like this is that it won't look at, you know, it stays contained within that room mm -hmm. between those two characters. And rather than seeing that, that their fight is taking place within a larger context, in the same way that the people sitting in the theater who are learning about this or getting into these issues, it's also we're aware of that sort of larger context. And it flinches and it won't go there. It may have been an attempt at some sort of provocative ambiguity or something like that, you know, where it's like, well, what's going to happen? It's up to you. Leave the theater. You think about it. You sit with it kind of thing, as opposed to going through a situation where like the first act is some sort of, you know, private debate and the second act turns into a, uh, a campus version of a courtroom drama or whatever. I, I don't think it wanted to be that. You know, maybe it maybe it could have been. Maybe it would have been interesting to actually see the administrative voice. It wouldn't even have to have been a courtroom drama. You could have had a scene where Zoe and Janine and some of the other admin or some of the fat cat board members are coming in, going like, "How in the how in the hell can we fix this? Because we don't want you know we want to look like we're interested in diversity, right? Because that was another one of my points in the review that. The play felt a touch dated because, you know, right now, I mean, certainly, you know, I teach at BU and I mean, these issues of microaggressions and diversity is, are all, you know what I mean? We're, we're being given handouts almost every day about how to handle these issues. So they're very sensitive about it. That doesn't mean anything is really happening. That's what and I was going to ask. Yeah, it only means has, that. Has anything in your class, I mean, not your classroom, maybe it's two person, <laughs> but like, I I think one of the things one one of the issues that I have with this play is the fact that I believe it is itself a useful idiot to conservative arguments that think that the anti that the anti free speech left is running rampant across the country in on college campuses. In order to to, to make that character the central person, I think is in, extremely problematic because one that's not what college campuses are like. I don't know if these people are actually on them. Like there, there, there. I have uh, an entire list of you know shit to bring up about how radical Stalinist, silent, censor, censorious campus left 
is running rampant and is going to take over and turn you know the, the United States into the Soviet Union is a completely overblown narrative. And, and yet here we have political this, correctness, McCarthyism, right. and we Bobby have Bobby. this we have this much ballyhooed, loved by liberals play that doesn't even begin to think that it's that it's it's not the case that that Zoe is 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 a cartoonish version that is actually a straw man of right wing and reactionary discourse. Like, I'm, I'm actually, I'm absolutely shocked that not a single person decided to say no. The, the campus is not like that. You know, there, every we we get a new book every three months about the the, the campus. The left. liberals are really the ones that are the censors, right? Yeah, Fox News makes all kinds of merry hell every with that. single day. Rush Limbaugh. All the, there's a huge, there's a huge part of the conservative um, argument. Sure, no, and I would agree. What's interesting is is that I think that based on my experiences and my girlfriend's experiences, uh, she has taught at a variety of different schools. She's not even teaching in the liberal arts. She's teaching physics usually. So liberal arts, obviously, these things get a little more, more easily politicized. Physics, I don't feel like, is usually something as, as political or as easily political. But she has mentioned that uh, teaching at a state school versus teaching at a very elite private institution is two different worlds. And I, from you're saying at BU, you're getting all these things handed out about microaggressions and being aware of diversity, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm teaching at UMass Boston. I mean, we've definitely talked about that. And of course, you know, the people who are in charge of the uh, department are, want us to be conscious of diversity and different learning styles and different races and so forth. And there's nothing wrong with that. However, I would say my students very rarely seem to, I think the difference with the campus uh, sensorial leftism is really more that the wealthier students are the ones who have been well coached by whatever culture to be hyper aware of microaggressions and PC necessities and supporting me emotionally, which is something that I really, I, I admired Zoe in many ways. I liked her. I, I don't think she is necessarily the straw man of it's actually the, the campus liberals who are being overly sensitive, as the right likes to say. However, I don't see that on college campuses that much. I think that's way blown up. I think it's some school somewhere in the middle of nowhere has some thing where some student freaks out. And I don't think it's, it's on the TV. middle of nowhere. I think it is at Yale. I think oh, it is at Williams. Sure. I think it is at Oberlin. I think it is sure. at Berkeley. But it's not the middle of nowhere. Well, I'm just saying when it gets reported in the news, it's I don't think it's some kind of coordinated thing. I think it's some school has some issue and then they hear about it and then it gets it gets repeated everywhere. So it's heard on a thousand different stations. So it sounds like it's happening all the time everywhere. Um, but it is it is. But that's part of my point. I think it is at Yale and Swarthmore and the more elite institutions lend themselves to students who start freaking out about about microaggressions and so on. The more working class state school, smaller institutions in kind of no, they're larger. Larger and yet less uh, influential, let's say, uh, are, are where that stuff doesn't happen as much. I think the more money the students have, the more they feel entitled to having their, their emotional and, and politically correct needs satisfied, is my impression. I mean, my, my response to Lucas, I mean, I can see, you know, that she's sort of a, you know, a straw man or a strong woman. But I mean, I also think the archetype here, as I mentioned, I'm beginning to see a number of plays where uh, African-American women, usually young, talented, brilliant, are coming into sort of white households or, you know, white contexts and speaking truth. And generally the white households are just sort of folding in absolute, you know, I mean, they, they can't handle the truth. So there's this sort of archetype that seems to be coming among the oppressed, the powerless, or in this case, black women, who are being given a voice and they're articulating. They're articulating things that are going to be truly challenging um, to the white power structure or to, you know, to, to make whites who think they're woke and they're actually not woke. 
and that seemed to me to be both true with the niceties and the white card, which was produced at the at, at the uh, Arts Emerson and produced by the American Repertory Theater. The same sort of scenario. So I don't. My point would be, well, maybe they're straw person, but they're also sort of like an you know the pl- often dramatists draw on archetypes. And it seems to me in both of these cases, Antigone is sort of the archetype for both Zoe and to a certain extent for the, the artist in the, in the white card, meaning non, the uncompromising female figure, right, who stretches things out to the point where it just makes everyone, you know what I mean, makes everyone uncomfortable. I mean, at the end, I mean, you don't have to believe what Janine's saying, but Janine's saying, don't you realize where you're going to take us? You know, it will be chaos. It will be blood. It will be death if you have this revolution. And Zoe seems to not care. And that is, it's that sort of archetype of pressing something. I was going to say that As too. far as it can go, that I think that, that the where the playwright is going, rather than, but I mean, you can see it that way, rather than fulfilling the Fox fantasy of, you know, all these sort of, you know, lefty liberal students who, you know, are out, who are out for blood. this question then maybe the play isn't isn't supposed to do this but so the whole reason why i wrote my commentary not so much in response to your review necessarily but to say that this is this is an aspect of 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 criticism that is that is missing from the the general discussion that is happening in boston media right now about this particular play my whole point is that both of them are liberals and the division that the play is showing to us is not one between the radical left and the left and what the media wants us to assume and what the, the, the play wants us to assume is that this is also a division that is happening on the left. My whole thesis is that the left is completely absent from this play. One of the reasons for that may very well be the fact that the left is completely absent from American politics today. And so there's no place for it in American contemporary drama. And I can understand that more so than I can understand a bunch of people thinking that Two liberals arguing about identity politics represents the great political chasm on the left today. So what is Zoe's revolution? Well, I don't know if I would say that I know what Zoe's revolution is. I do think that the identity politics does become, aside from the right wing making straw men, I do think identity politics is one of those things that becomes a flashpoint within the left. I really do see that. Because it becomes an issue of, well, you're, and this is actually maybe my answer to what Zoe's revolution is, is that you're not acknowledging me enough within your institution, within the institution that you represent, Mrs. Teacher. Can't you say that about me as a leftist, saying that you're not acknowledging me as a leftist? A hundred percent. That's why what's one of the biggest things that, 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 that creates rifts within the left. Communism isn't an identity, though. It's a political choice that I make. Well, people's philosophies become identities in lots of ways. Yeah, and also, I mean, let's... 
make distinguish between, you know, sort of, um, you know, that her, her argument about identity is partly based on the fact that I think you quote the line that I also might have quoted, you know, that, well, that they are they're killing black, you know, that the police, they're killing black people. Right. The, the scene now, is, the, is the system is killing blacks. So um, to, to that extent, her her identity cry is based on this idea of violence. And it's the violence of the whites structure, let's say, represented by Janine, which is killing black people, which the, the system will not acknowledge. It's the same thing in the, the white card when they're talking about the private prison system where, where whites are making a lot of money, you know, in this case an architect, by designing these prisons, which basically to imprison people of color, right? And so, and not making money of and not acknowledging, you know, being on the one hand, being not being racist, but not acknowledging that the money they make is basically based on, you know, in this case, either either, you know, in private prisons or that, you know, that blacks are being killed by the police and nothing is being done. So it's that violence that's being done to Zoe that she's so you say, what is her revolution? Her revolution is says you are killing. Us. You know, she say you are killing us. You know, so what choice Unless you change, unless something actually happens in the system, what choice do we have? I mean, that's the little spark there when Janine at the end goes, well, it's going to be a revolution. It's going to be blood. You know, basically saying, if I cannot stop, if the white system cannot stop killing blacks, then you are going, you know, there's that fantasy, you know, the black panther fantasy. You're going to come back and there's going to be there's going to be violence simply as a form of self-defense because the system won't change. Do we honestly think that that's what liberals think of the Black Lives Matter or Sanders wing of the Democratic Party? That there will be literal bloodshed? If that's well, the case, that's stretching it a little bit farther from the source material. But no, it's I not because think... because 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 Zoe doesn't go any further to the left than Bernie Sanders. Uh, she goes a little farther than Bernie Sanders. Does. Absolutely not. I think so. Absolutely not. She I wouldn't. So. She wouldn't be so fixated on identity politics. She would care more about Wall Street, and Hillary Clinton would come and say, do you think Wall Street is going to solve racism? As a matter of fact, it will do a hell of a lot more for solving you know, economic inequality that has a racial characteristic than any you know, identity-based political procedure. Well, this is where the characters as archetypes becomes kind of slippery. Because there's no question that there's a power structure that is destroying particular members of society, usually people of color, women gays, lesbians, transgenders, etc. There is absolutely a structure that does that. I feel like in for the context of this play, Zoe is realistic. She's okay. She is acknowledging the fact that there is this structure out there that is in fact doing her harm and that is ingrained and that is tied to the elite status of the school that is represented by the teacher. But part of the problem is that the teacher isn't she's not responsible for racist cops. Okay? To be, to be a professor of history at an elite institution is to in some ways be part of a larger power structure, but that doesn't mean that, that complaining about how your teacher isn't acknowledging your scholarship is reinforcing the white murderous power structure. Yeah, I think Zoe loses a lot That's where I feel of... like I lose... That's where Zoe is like... This is why I think they're both missing liberals, the point. is because Zoe abandons what is essentially her initial materialist critique. It's like her, her point about the Revolutionary War, of being something that only was able to be successful in the way that it was because it neglected the material conditions of uh, black people in the United States at the time. What was the number she gives? Two million people or something like that? You know, two million people 
who are the absolute most oppressed of the oppressed. And, you know, most people didn't even participate in the Revolutionary War. You know, it was bourgeois through and through. And so that is a, a through and through a materialist critique. And she hedges and, and, and backs off from a materialist critique the entire, like, for the entire rest of the thing. She All right, says, well, I want to, let me step in just because I want to complicate it a little bit. I mean, you know, we're dealing with this, I mean, it was back in the 60s, the same idea of, you know, sort of black power or, you know, I mean, Marxist revolutions. Part of what the argument is with Janine is that her it's the perspective, her identity perspective. It's from the point of view, the black point of view, right, which has been erased from that, you know, in, in other words, to make that materialistic analysis, materialist analysis of what went on in the revolution, it, it depended upon the erasure of the black point of view, which is essentially what would be needed to have, you know what I mean, that one would need to see in order to actually recognize that critique, you see, in other words, in terms you, of empirical evidence, yes. In terms which of is, empirical evidence, in terms, and but but that becomes important, right? In other words, we need to hear. I mean, Marxists do want to hear from the voiceless. You know, we do want to hear from those who have been erased, right? Because by hearing from them, we learn something about history, learn something about reality, and it also helps galvanize people to move, you know, to move forward, to become part of a movement. So, I mean, I, I see what you're saying about the, the breakaway between identity and, you know, and, and class in this play, and, and I take your point. But I do think that you're simplifying Zoe by con disconnecting the idea of identity as offering, you know, as offering from its particular perspective a, a class economic critique that, that white Marxists not, would not necessarily make. I think it's important for me to say that <laughs> uh, for me, it's it's never, you know, identity or class. I think it's, you know, we live in a society where it's it's always both. And and yet I, I have a predilection to it to assume that class is more important. And and, 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 and you and, do. And, 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 and in America, class has has a particular it's um, hard to hold them. Or, in. Sorry, race has a particular class dimension to it, which is, which is absolutely true. But in this particular play, so we're, if we're just sticking to the to the source material that we're talking about here, Zoe is rich. Janine comes from a wealthy or a, a working class Jewish escape the Holocaust refugee background. She says to Zoe in, in Act Two, I didn't know. You, oh, by the way, I didn't know you were from Westchester. Uh, my mother used to clean houses in your neighborhood. Zoe shoots back. Is that supposed to mean something? Right. Yes. Yes, it absolutely means something. For so Janine to say that? No, no. It Class means something. The, yeah, play, yeah, the right. play is literally saying that class does not matter. Class I don't think not it's important. saying it doesn't matter. Okay, I think okay, so the, the, the play is saying that the two people have no class dimension. And so so whatever whatever materialist cr critique, whatever you know, Marxist black power critique that Zoe had at the beginning has absolutely evaporated entirely at that point because she says, your class background is not important to my race background. Well, yeah. Well, she's trying to say in that moment, I read it as Zoe saying, don't try to tell me that you know my suffering. You know. Janine had already come out to her as, as as being gay, though. Right, and she's and that that was something that really annoyed me about Zoe. Actually, that was a, at that moment I literally groaned when I heard that. I think this when is Zoe said that because I, I was like, you know what? <laughs> Sorry, like if your mother cleaned houses in someone else's neighborhood, then yes, that does matter and that should matter. And if Zoe can't see that that matters, then I think her her uh, I emphasis on identity politics is obscuring the fact that they might have more in common than they think they do. This is why the the other thesis that I wanted. That's to why I was annoyed response. by Zoe. Okay, well, I, 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 I'm going to bring in, I'll bring one other point and then go forward. But 
to me that the, uh, the the attempt of both you know my you know my mother were you know was was working in that you know was cleaning houses in that neighborhood <clears throat> to me works on a psychological level not necessarily on an ideological level by that point yeah, where we have a pinteresque uh, tennis game going on right like how can i get through to you to make you do or think what i want you to think and it seems to me and what i liked about it so i'm going to be the opposite here what i liked about it was the play's um dismissal of what seems to me that the kill a mockingbird approach of empathy oh your mother worked in was a cleaning room and working oh well well you're like boo radley we're we're both oh, we're all the same let's all get together yeah it's like we're we're you know we're connecting i mean that would be the most conventional liberal if i may say a dramatic move to make, you know, and then they hug or they, they start discovering one another because they're, oh, they're, they're differences. Oh, they're not that different. They, we have a common ground based on our class or class background. And I, I love the fact that the, that Zoe in her sort of Antigone like way, I would say, basically said, don't, you know, don't try to manipulate me with this. Don't try to make me feel bad for you. I'm not sure she's necessarily saying, oh, you know what I mean? This I don't give a crap about you and your mother. I think she sees it as a, game, as a psychological game that, you know, that, she's, that, that Janine wants to play her to get her sympathy, her empathy to calm down. Because part of the play is all about once the shit hits the fan and Janine knows that she's in trouble... She's trying to mollify, compromise, and manipulate Zoe. That, and she's using whatever in her background in order to do that. And that's why I think that Burgess makes uh, Janine's son another un an unforgiving character, right? I mean, the son knows about the grandmother cleaning homes and yet is completely condemning his mother for how she treated Zoe and for her ideas. Um, and I think that uh, Burgess put her in, put that figure in there for for a reason. So I would, I disagree. I mean, I I, I see your point. I take your point, but I think that there's a psychological game going on, and empathy is being used as so often in American plays to try to make a, a to try to create a sort of a, a comradeship that is unearned and unbelievable. And I actually didn't mind Zoe going, "Don't hand me that shit. We're having an argument here. Don't try to make me feel bad for you." What about the revolution? What about, you know what I mean? What, what, ha what right. about what went on there? So I think that's actually a really, really, really good point. And I, and, and I do agree that there is that sort of psychological sort of tennis match going on there where we realize eventually towards the end of it that, yes, Janine has, has nothing but her own, like saving her own ass is, is really what her entire M.O. is in this, in this play. At the second part especially. Yes. I mean, that's, that's the second part. You either think that's effective or not. I mean, it's more ambiguous if you'd cut it off as a one act, but in the second act, it seems to me that Burgess, I think, for me, in a heavy-handed way, uh, basically slights it all against Janine and makes Janine look like, you know, look like the, the villain or the bad person saying, I'm here to protect myself and I will destroy you if, if I, in order to save my job. And I, I find that as well a little bit heavy-handed, like going back to is this really what liberals think of like the younger generation? Like is this really are, – are we really that scary? You know, I don't think I'm anywhere near as scary at, you know, upper 20s as these like 17 and 18-year-olds are, you know, with their – with their floss dancing and their and their and their violent video games and all that kind of stuff. Their tambourines and, the and their tambourines yeah, yeah, music. And their, yeah, but, <laughs> incense, peppermints. Jesus. But uh, Iron Men. But it but it's almost worse though, because like what I hated about this play was that 
I do think Janine is, is, is an utter class traitor. But her son doesn't get the same opportunity if she doesn't, you know, essentially fulfill the American dream. And yes, that's denied to the vast majority of people who look like Zoe. But, you know, it's it it really does remove class entirely. And so so my other big point about the play is that it reveals not the 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 disconnect on the left, because I don't think either one of these people are actually on the left. I think they're both wandering around in the mire of, of, of American centrist politics. But to me, it's... <laughs> To me, this this is a play that reveals the moral and political incoherence of the Democratic Party. You cannot move forward with these two people. So, yes, everybody is right to say, Zoe says at the end of it, you know what I hear? I hear a death rattle. And then you get this uh, sort of abstract lighting that puts a wall up on the stage. And so everybody thinks, oh, that's Donald Trump's wall and everything's bad and we're the liberals and we're good. But, no, that's the wall between apparently the Bernie Sanders wing and the intractable conflict between the generations and the, and the ideology. And the Clinton-Obama wing or, or, or whatever. And so – yeah, that's probably true, but like most liberals would probably say, you know what, that's probably not our problem because Democrats are sensible, logical people who will always do the right thing, and we're going to come together and defeat this monster on the right because they're the real evil people and we're the good guys. And yet, you know, when you when you when you run down the list, there is literally nothing uh, f- from a leftist perspective. Zoe might feel differently. Janine obviously feels feels differently. Lots of people who consider themselves on the left will feel differently from what I think. But there is literally nothing in the Democratic Party that anybody that is literally that is actually on the left to see in the future politics of the Democratic Party. And so for us to sit in a theater with a liberal, wealthy, white audience to watch this play and see <laughs> and see uh, everybody walk out and feel probably I think actually okay with themselves. Because they now feel more enlightened, I guess. You know, Janine says, I read Ta-Nehisi Coates and I'm, I'm all better now. <laughs> so, it, And Zoe says, I really think you should wear a hat that says that. Right. One of the great lines in that play. It's not as if it's a bad you it's know, a play. It's got good lines and all that kind of stuff. Oh, sure. But, you know. Well, it, it highlights the fact that so many people, in some ways like myself, uh, find their, you know, um, token black intellectual and read them and say, my God, I'm so woke. However... That may be, in fact, how lots of people may see the play. The propensities for the average, well-off, uh, self-satisfied, middle-class, bougie liberal are generally to pat one's back. But I think the niceties touches on enough of the sensitive points between the radical left and the, you might call it, centrist left, represented by Janine, who's got the Hillary mug, which I thought was a nice touch, and who makes kind of somewhat grandstanding gestures to the audience at certain points because the play is set during the campaign of 2016 before after donald trump is the nominee though he's not mentioned so there's a sense of like hillary's gonna win he's only the nominee after um the first act is over yeah right and there's lots of that kind of self sense that and i think um burgess chose that specifically because there was a lot of sense that like oh it's inevitable hillary will win and everything will be wonderful and we all know that wasn't the case um, but I think the play touches on enough of the sensitive spots that somebody might walk away from it and feel horrible for the next couple of days. And I say that because I am one of those people. I walked out of the play, like chewing my fingernails and, uh, stopping a and liberal. <laughs> no, not at all. No, because I do see how there is a rift within the left and I don't know if it's intractable or not. I don't know if we're going to be able to get over it. No, I don't think we are. I think I think I think the play is right in saying that there is a rift. And and yet the thing that the thing that's missing from this rift is that where Zoe goes, 
is not represented whatsoever in, in the ideologies that are presented on the stage. Well, they try to come up with a joint statement, right? Zoe, Zoe, te- Zoe bugs. I mean, After this psychological tennis of using empathy as a weapon. During, while using empathy as a weapon, she tries to say, and I do think Janine, the teacher, says, uh, you're right. I'm going to revisit, revisit my scholarship, which for a professor of history is a pretty big deal. I'm going to revisit my scholarship. I think you've given me a new chapter, a whole new way to look at this, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's a sense of revision on her part, which may or may not be manipulative. manipulative. You, I, you could argue either way. I think you make a good point about it being a manipulative thing all the way through, depending on whether or not you think she's a jerk or not. I read it as, you know what? You've got a, you've got a point. As, as the teacher's saying, you've really made a good point. You've changed the way I look at this, which I would say is automatically a worthier reaction much more enlightened than anybody on the right would have done in that situation, which would have been to completely shut the fuck down and say, stop yelling at me. I don't want to hear your bullshit. Go away. At least the teacher says, you're right, and starts to actually seem to reframe some of the ways she's been thinking about history before, which I'm sorry is better than the alternative because at least somebody says, you know what? I'm wrong. Let me let me reconsider this. It reminded me of a moment recently that happened uh, where Bill Maher, who I have a lot of issues with, who I'm not really all that huge of a fan of, and I kind of hate watch all the time. But I do, and I think it's kind of an interesting moment. But I, with all of the stupid stuff that he says and all of his self-congratulatory back-patting, uh, when he said the N-word not too long ago, the next show he had Michael Eric Dyson and Ice Cube on to yell at him about it. And he was like, you know what? This was, was, was kind of stupid. And he had a moment where he like copped to it. So Bill Maher, in many ways, is an idiot and talks out of his ass all the time. But that, mo- that, that gesture alone is light years away from what the right wing does when they're caught saying or doing something stupid, which is to do what literally, uh, what's his face, Kavanaugh just did, where someone accused him credibly of something and he went, what the fuck? Yeah, I like beer. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, that's literally what happened. Who or, among us? <laughs> who among us? Who among us? Who among us? Cast and, the first keg. Exactly. Right. And nobody likes to be accused of something horrible, but the adult thing to do is to say, my God, I can't believe we're in this situation. Please investigate me. The, the adult thing to do is to say, I screwed up. You're right. Let me think about this differently. Now, whether or not your conclusion is then suitably radical is, you know, is, is a whole different matter. But I give Janine credit for that. I mean, I, I, I'll step in, or do you want to you answer? I, I was just going to say that I think that's complete bullshit for a number of reasons. But go ahead, Bill. <laughs> okay, maybe you can, t- you can take us both on. And call us, uh, I mean, I'm going to take a bit of a different tack than um, Matt. I mean, I find you a touch hysterical about this. but um, Oh, I'm hysterical. You're hysterical. I've been underrepresented um, for I mean, my, my feeling is that I don't really see, you know, I, I'm uncomfortable with generalizations about the audience. I mean, I don't know how, how, when they walked out, what they all thought, you know, whether they were patting themselves on the back or some, some people like Matt were upset. I have no idea. I, I'm uncomfortable with that. You know, I can speak for myself. I mean, to me, what I thought was interesting about the play, and as I said, I think it's a move forward, but I don't think it's a large move forward, but at least it's something. And I use a quote, I think I mentioned in my review, and I will not be able to get a verbatim about uh, James Baldwin saying that racism turns white people into monsters. They don't know they're monsters, but they are monsters. Can we get that through to them? And it seemed to me that on that level, I'm sort of sort of arguing with Matt here. I don't think it's that we're to be reassured at Janine's 
you know, listening and then saying, oh, I'm going to put that idea in my next anthology. That's going to fit perfectly. It's, I think, by the end, the idea is that we see that Janine is a bit of a monster. You know what I mean? That for all of her good intentions, for all the, the right words, that, there, that racism has turned her into something that she doesn't even know she's turned into. And that Zoe is a truth giver to that extent and is making her look into the mirror of her own behavior and if she doesn't see it, and by the end of the play, she really doesn't. I mean, she's saying, I'm going to destroy you because you're trying to take my job. But the audience, I mean, that's sort of like Greek tragedy. Often the person who's being destroyed doesn't see why they're being destroyed, doesn't see that it's for a some sort of tragic flaw or weakness. But it seems to me, I saw it, and I think maybe some of the audience members saw it, saw that Janine was a bit of a monster, that she did not know her own monstrousness and does not recognize and remains as unenlightened at the end as she was in the beginning. But we have been enlightened because Zoe's challenged, challenge has let us see that this powerful figure in an elite university is, has been, come a bit of a monster due to racism. So I can I ask what kind of, ra- do you feel like it's racism that, that she assumes that she is superior to Zoe? Um, no, I, I think it's a, it, to go to what um, Lucas was saying, it's about who tells the story, right? Mm-hmm. Who tells the story? And Janine wants to be in control of the story. To me, the giveaway in the second act is when Zoe says, she goes, oh, you had a really great idea, Zoe. I'm making it part of my anthology. That's her way to absorb Right. To, in a sense, bring it in to make it part of her of the story that she's telling because to validate it. she validates it by making it part of her structure. She, she just won't see that Zoe should tell this story. You know, Zoe should be in charge of the story and that her her way of telling the story, her, you know, her um, command of that narrative has to take has to take a back seat. That's a good point. And I- she won't she won't see that and that's what i mean by because we're not talking about economic power here i mean i think you know i don't know about class is a little bit overwrought but we are talking about the power of his as as uh, lucas mentioned in his piece the power of history and who tells the story and who has control over history and how history is determined and what is evidence what is not evidence right that's the struggle i mean the struggle is how are we going to tell the story what how are we going to look at history zoe has been left out Right. Zoe's voice and the voice of blacks have been left out. She's coming in as an avenging fury to say, here's my voice. I'm telling the story. I'm taking the book out of your hands and I'm going to write it. And you're going to be a footnote. Just one more chance and I'll correct it all. It's my fault. Just one more chance and I'll correct it all. You can read my letter, you can't read my mind. When you see me laughing, I'm laughing to keep from crying. You know it's my fault Just one more chance And I'll correct it all There's only one thing 
that worries my mind Someone else enjoying what I walked off and left behind to make that point and, and stick by it, I think, and not really complicated, is to assume that all of the brilliant, amazing, revolutionary, even and, and moderate and everything black voices that we have heard from the times of the slave narratives of Frederick Douglass and, you know, Oluwadu uh, 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 Equiano and everybody else, all the way up through the, the 20th century up until now, and even ta Coates, you know, is, is to say that they haven't been participating in in the story and they have been but they've been doing it from a position where they always have to speak truth to power which is always does and so she's an archetype but she's an archetype that comes from a tradition of i think black literary tradition and also black revolutionary tradition and yet she doesn't reach the conclusions that i think a black revolutionary probably would well she that's reaches, when you say you, she should i mean that's yeah what should i, I, I mean I, that's, I, that's me I, speaking I, for a you young black to, woman you so i'm be, obviously you a have to be a little, like, yeah you're being yeah. you have to be a little <laughs> careful with that i mean plays ask questions and they raise issues and they create experiences for the audience i mean I, I mean, I see what you're saying, and maybe a second act could have gone to what would Zoe's revolution, you know, what would her, what if she could expand that into class? It would or fall other, apart. It, it would, would fall, fall apart. apart. She doesn't. She doesn't so have enough. The play does what it can. I don't have do within within the confines. I think of the two hander, the two character, and it goes to a point where, as I agree, it sort of ends abruptly. I think it's with the realization that Janine is, you know, we see she's a monster and that thus maybe we're monsters and we don't see it. It's to raise that issue. But that's about as far, you know, it's as far as it can go. What's interesting when you talk about Zoe's revolution, if you notice what she wants, what she finally like gets uh, Janine to sort of uh, accept her demands in a certain sense. Zoe wants the institution itself to change. It's not to destroy the institution. It's to have the institution itself change its structure. That, I think, is a really interesting point, and that was something where Zoe's both absolutely realist, and I really commend her for her realism in that, and her acknowledgement of what I think true revolutions have to be, because it's not just burn everything, I hate it all, ah, it's not nihilism, it's that this institution is of such value that we need to make sure that it's changed so that people like me can speak and be a part of it. One of the things she says is that it needs... Is Yale that valuable? Zoe seems to think so, otherwise she wouldn't bother. So there's Do you think the education that George W. Bush got at Yale is a valuable education? Do you think he deserved that? Do you think he should have been there? Do you think? Do you think? Uh, did Brett Kav- Kavanaugh. Did Kavanaugh go there? You think? You think it's a valuable institution? Yeah, I think it. Yeah, I mean, just of because, course it's a valuable just institution. Louts and reactionaries. Yeah, go just because idiots go there doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean that's real. The institution smart. is no good. I mean, yeah. And the institution is there with its clout and its scholarliness and its uh, erudition and its and, and its, its neglect of reach. poor New Haven residents. And its re- and its neglect of poor New Haven residents means that we need more Zoe's at Yale and at Harvard and Brown and wherever the fuck else to be able to say, listen, institution, you need to start changing your game. So Zoe's absolutely on point with that. And I appreciate the fact that she's saying that this is that these that's the I don't remember the exact quote because there's a lot of uh, words in the play and they're hard to remember everything. But she says at one I think point there are upwards of 100 in the play. There is at least <laughs> 622 words could be 25. I mean, I you I know, lost count. I, I, I was eating uh, Fritos at the time. There may have been 600 Fritos. I don't know. Uh, Zoe's demands become this institution needs to change. It needs to make sure that students of color like me have complete economic, educational, and emotional support. And at some point, it reminded me a little bit of kind of the uh, female character in Oleana 
the sense that there is a sense of Zoe rattling off things that someone else told her, but I feel like that's more being young and having to kind of go with what you've been taught, what you've heard from somewhere. It doesn't come naturally to her. It's not lived in to a certain extent, but I can understand that because whatever. Zoe's what, a brilliant 22-year-old. I, I get that. But I, my point is, is that when she starts rattling off her list of demands to change the institution, it's wise to say she wants to change the institution. The part that annoyed me is that when she starts saying the institution needs to, I think it's education, educational, economic, and emotional support. And the emotional support, it's like, okay, like, Really, we need emotional support now. Like, the, the revolution isn't, I need to change this so that my voice is heard. I need to change this so that this institution makes me feel good about myself. <laughs> is uh, There's a, something in that that feels very bratty. I me. think you can probably get to the emotional support with the educational and the economic support. So... Let me just let me just let me just sort of let me just abstract this I don't a little know. bit to it to it to, to like the, so, so it doesn't seem so, to think so. So you're so. basically saying that her revolution is a moderate revolution. That was kind of the irony of the whole bit. Right. So let's let let's just have Matt Hansen going on record here that the radical is actually moderate. So so all oh. all of the demands of at least the democratic socialists of America are completely legitimate within the framework of of, of having Zoe be the, the the mouthpiece for the moderate democratic socialists of America agenda, the Bernie Sanders agenda. That's a moderate agenda. Is what uh, well, you're saying. moderate is a, is a large word. I don't know if I'd call it moderate. It's wise because it's better to say I'd rather have a force within the institution that changes it and makes it hopefully better and has it acknowledge more people, you know, Zoe's voice, other voices that are marginalized. So then what's go live, so afraid of? Then, then, then to be... I mean, Zoe doesn't have to stay at Yale if she's so upset with it. She can go and be in some anarchist flat in, Cal in California. She's and got ambitions. Exactly, and that's what part of the irony is with Zoe. And I don't blame Zoe for that because that's sort of also, I think, a millennial trait. I don't because a lot of millennials have also had to be forced due to the market to, to face the steely reality of if I don't network now and if I don't you know, find the right GPA now, I'm going to be screwed. I'll work at KFC the rest of my life. So I don't blame her for that, although I do think Burgess is wise in, in showing how her radicalism and her um, anti-authoritarian uh, bent is also stuck by is also in many ways defined by market <laughs> dynamics, right? Um, and Janine is defined by market dynamics because we all have to be defined by market dynamics because we live in a shitty fucking world. Because um, at the end, Janine doesn't want to destroy Zoe. Janine's like, I have to destroy you now because I don't want to lose my job. It becomes self-preservation, which is essentially the uh, the ideology of, of the market of, of neoliberalism of 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 global capitalism right it's i will I, as leonard cohen put it i will help you if i can i will kill you if i must i will help you if i can but see that's kind of the problem this is why we get to the old the old saw the old standard the old the old american no, bandstand don't, don't say it. that the problem is in many ways with our current political uh, landscape gazing out of my window into the political landscape i see sad and lonely there is, in fact, no overflow of comity within the centrist democratic thinking and the progressive democratic thinking. And this, my friends, I feel is in many ways why we can't have nice things. I think that's a good thing. To me, I mean, I agree. Uh, some of what Matt said I'd sort of agree with. But, I mean, yes. if... <laughs> you know, ultimately, I'm not sure I think I need some sort of, you know, synthesis or some sort of understanding between the moderate, you know, democratic wing and the, you know, sort of radical left. To me, I want 
people like Zoe, and I'm not saying, and I want to make a repu- you know, making a representation of everyone, which I think is a mistake. But anyway, I, the voices like Zoe need to be there to push, right, and pull and prod um, the moderates to do something. I mean, I see what happens now. I don't want to go too much into what's happening in politics, but we have a right wing in Congress, which is systematically and somewhat brilliantly pushed the moderate conservatives either off the cliff or their way, right? And and certainly Trump is representative of that. And that's because they had a, a small wing of zealots, right, who were completely far, far conservative right. And they pushed and they pulled and they hung together as a group and they made the moderates have to deal with them. I would love to see in You're voice, giving them too much credit. I well, think. I think that they did pull the, I mean, it could be, you know, I mean, there are a lot of forces in terms of a hollowness within these sort of conservatives themselves that made them easy to to draw aside. But the fact that we have now, we've gone from someone like Bush and that Bush is, the Bushes have been now completely routed by Trump suggests, again, that the slow hollowing out of the sort of what would be considered the more moderate conservatives. So what I'm basically saying that Zoe represents at least a step in the right direction, represents a step on the left, which is pulling, is going to push and pull and prod and embarrass, right, the moderate Democrats to yeah. change. And, and they to should. Do, and to do something. This, this and is, let the record show that I love is, that. This is not the political reality. That we, 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 we can go more into that. Cause, all right, so let's <laughs> just, we, we can just take, you know, Ocasio-Cortez's um, uh, 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 most recent campaign. The entire Democratic establishment got behind the old white conservative Democrat establishment candidate. Uh, they've, they've done it, you know, in, in, in primary after primary after primary. They have said, no, wait your turn to young women of color in the Democratic Party and said, we don't want you here because we can't defeat them with your politics. And yet it's their it's 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 the Democrats politics, you know, their de, de rigueur politics that have gotten us to this point with Donald Trump and this incredibly reactionary situation that we have both in the House and the Senate and also potentially on the Supreme Court. So this is why I think Zoe is right to say your time is done. We're done with your politics. This is your death rattle. You are going to be absorbed into a moderate wing of the Republican Party because that's where you belong, because that's what you fight for. But I think a play like this is stepping back to the Bush era. This is a stepping back to the West Wing type of entertainment that coddles the liberal mind into thinking that they're the good person whose time will come again because they think about things, they're sensitive. Zoe thinks, Janine thinks, Eleanor Burgess seems to think that there is a Sorkin-esque speech, some epic speech that will finally bring all of the people together under one happy you know, party, the way Obama thought that he could do I, it. I, I just think you're so projecting on, the, I mean, the whole point of hers, I mean, you can't have your cake and eat it too. When Zoe will not accept empathy, you know, and will not empathize with Janine, to me that is unbush, unliberal, right? I mean, every liberal play I've ever seen, every kind of nice conservative play I've ever seen, empathy has been the bottom line, the it, ultimate principle. But she can We only... will recognize her commonality. The fact that Zoe Lee will not accept any of that seems to me to separate this from your idea that, that, it, that it's selling some vision of, you know, we're all going to be getting, you know, li- living peacefully together. It's just, when she says, this is your that's death not my vi- No, that's not my vision. My vision is that, that it's not going to be. My vision is Janine's, is that it's going to suck and that it's going to be bloody and it's going to be horrendous. And I think Zoe knows that, but I don't think Zoe is going to be fighting uh, for other people. I think she should, 
my my big problem is that yes, the class dimension is completely squashed. Neither one of them think it's important, and it's only used by Janine, as you say, as this weapon of empathy. Empathize with me because I come from a working class background. I clean houses in your neighborhood. I don't think she delivered the line in that way, but well, that's that's it's a great point. I, a, I hadn't thought of that. And I think and, it's and, really and good I, point. And I think it's I think I it's think you could totally to, be right about yeah. that. I just didn't mm-hmm. read it that way in the moment. Well, that's how I that's how I saw it, and I but now I you know. I agree that class is not emphasized here, but it's just, I don't necessarily think that that necess, you know, that, that somehow that completely limits the value of the play, uh, you know, in terms of a voice coming out and challenging and saying the death rattle is here. Okay, fine. To me, it's a recognition of the monstrousness of Janine and the, and the system that she's part of. I mean, that's a valuable, to me, that's a valuable, that's one step that's a valuable point to make. If you're going to run, either you could then run off and become a moderate Republican, as you're saying, or one could wake up and go, you know, maybe if I do really want to do something that's meaningful, I have to go in the, you know, I'm going to have to move in the other direction. I'm not entirely sold that the audience is all going to run and become a moderate Republican. I think that the, that, I, I think mean, their politics that, already represent that. Um, for the most part around here. Well, I you mean, gestured towards me. I, 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 I was just going to say that. I mean, you could see that how Matt changed, right? I mean, in seeing the play indicates that they're just still. I mean, I just think there are a lot of generalizations here that I'm, you know, that I'm uncomfortable making. Yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of not, how audiences are going to react. I can and, take all the flack for that, Bill. Don't worry. Okay. No, I just think it's. Uh, yeah, maybe they'll all become moderate Republicans. Maybe not. You know, I mean, that's not Burgess's right. concern, right? Burgess is running a play right. where he's basically giving us this radical, to her at least, a radical voice, a challenge voice that's walking into the white academic establishment and to me showing the hollowness emptiness and monstrousness of the good intentions of that system and that's the same system that a lot of the people sitting in the audience accept right and agree with now to me you may have a few people waking up seeing that and seeing that janine is seen as monstrous and that is that is to the good and to me, what more do you want? You know what I mean? What more do you want from, Bur- you know, what more would you want from Burgess than that? You asked the question in your review, Bill, though, to what extent does uh, Zoe's ideology turn her into a monster, right? I do ask that, and I think that's neglected. In other words, I think she's a Antigone, and I kept thinking about Antigone rather than Oleana because I don't, don't like Oleana. I think it's a mediocre play. I mean, Antigone does become a bit of a monster. You know, she's so uncompromising. She does become a monster. And, you know, and we do see that. I don't think Burgess isn't going to go that way to see her monstrousness. And that's something that sort of Baldwin also sort of suggests. I mean, I think in his quote, the entire system turns everyone into a bit of a monster, even they don't they don't know it and accept it. So that could be another step, you know, in which we see... You know, we see uh, Zoe's own monstrousness. And that's why we need to have Zoe and Janine in terms of their characters and in terms of the archetypes they represent in the larger culture to learn how to cooperate. They need to bond together in order to attack and change and enlighten uh, the institution that they're both a part of, whether they like it or not. And so, therefore, we can't either... You can't have burn it all down on the one side, and you can't have comfortable complacency on the other. And I totally agree with what you're saying about Zoe's uh, need to be there, and Zoe and her representative archetypes out in the culture need to be there to keep pushing and to keep prodding and to keep plucking and, and popping the, the, the comfortable uh, liberal consensus. Yet we need to have 
Zoe and Janine able to communicate with each other and be able to create a joint statement. Part of what's interesting to me about how why they couldn't make that joint statement was not only the fact that they have different ideological uh, preoccupations and there was manipulation going on from both sides, it's also because of the campus freakout that we don't see, that we only see them walking away from shell-shocked. Zoe's in her room eating snack food and watching Netflix and can't go to class anymore. Janine's on acad- on, pro- on probation. She's, whatever, uh, suspended. So they're both in limbo, and they're both kind of shell-shocked by what's happening. And the fact is, because of the pressure that's outside that room, they can't come together and make a joint statement because no matter what, the, the, the howling mob has decided what to make of either of them and has decided to, 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 de- to, to, to create... Uh, straw men out of both of them and so them trying to actually speak authentically and in concert with each other can't really happen so basically what we're doing on this podcast right now yeah and this is what this is what is screwing up this entire country right now this is what's this is what we call the muppet show this is what's fucking us up i'm not sure i quite accept that i mean i mean we're sort of we're back to empathy again and i and i've I've sort of had had enough of that but a few weeks ago barack obama you can call it whatever you want a few weeks ago barack obama said that he and john mccain were always on the same team why did we bother having an election in 2008 okay so here's the thing about political language (laughs) <laughs> it is designed to make lies sound truthful and give the appearance of solidity to pure wind. If you take that as a literal statement, then you're 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 in, you're not you're, you're a little in, not you're a little naive. You're in a I you're mean, in a you're, I mean, in, a, you're was, in your own he's world. He's talking about a eulogizing a man, you know, and there's just no you know he of yeah. course a he's war going criminal. Back. Yeah, they're on the same. I, I agree. no, I'm not naive. <laughs> I I think Obama's telling the truth. I think they are on the same team. Obama dropped the bombs. McCain dropped the bombs. McCain sang in jest, bomb, 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 Iran. He thought it was funny I think to kill I need, people. I need to write a play. I'm going to tape Lucas and write a play where you go in. You know, instead of Zoe, why bother with her? Bring you in. Right, well, sharply dressed, professor. brilliant, well-spoken young man, chain-smoking and screaming about war crimes in Geneva. Well-dressed, which implies wealth. My shirt is a hole in it, okay? My, Don't call me a my bourgeois. Pan, my pants have a hole in it. Accommodationist, all right? I'm no friggin' centrist. I eat pizza every meal, all right? Don't give me centrism. We need to get into the institution and change that complacent liberal consensus so that complacent liberals can turn into mildly more progressive liberals being led by the most progressive liberals and we can move the center to the farther left just like the Republicans did with that, their satanic masters that, that, and the Trump group. That's what I, you know, I mean, I must admit I'm, I'm on the same page with Matt and here. And perhaps mean, that, empathy is the glue that will do it. Oh, no, I pulled the trap, I the trap door. I, I, I will not accept that. No, I, won't, I, won't, I won't accept that. <laughs> but I will say that what Look, we, who's, who's running this podcast? I was going to let you <laughs> say that you agreed with me 100%, and then I had to drop had the to trap drop door. The I, can't, line, I, can't, I can't let some centrist know. panacea need, be what we go we out need on. In Congress <laughs> I had have, empathy for your need to reject yeah, yeah. my claim we, we for need, empathy. We need Sanders people to come in, a core of Sanders people. They can be a small number that will be continually What if their pushing, names rhyme with Schmookus Zero? Yeah, what... <laughs> They, that will continually push 
the moderates over. Yes. The, the problem with not and the I problem. And I am with you on that. I will help. I have been trying to do that the for years. The moderates are actively fighting the Sanders wing. Yes, everyone in politics is actively fighting every other person in politics. You're saying we have to come together with the people that are actively fighting us. Because if you can talk to centrist liberals well enough, you can maybe, just maybe, turn them into progressive liberals. I've tried. That's what I think is wrong with and this I've play. Spent this so is what's much wrong with Aaron Sorkin. This is that? what's wrong with the West Wing. You can't talk well enough at people. You have to say, I'm going to get you what you want, and here is how we do it. That's politics. It's not a speech. It's not Antigone, and it's not fucking Aaron Sorkin. I refuse to have Aaron Sorkin and Antigone placed in the same... On the same plat, you know, right. shade of same. Sophocles I mean, weeps Sophocles in the weeps. distance. This is this is sorry, Sophocles. Sorry, I thought that was very well said. He's going but no, way it's out. not. It's not a. It's very not, well said. It's not a. Let me tell you this. I think people are starting to call themselves socialists more often than they used to. Now the problem is, I don't think people generally well, know. We don't know what we say when we mean that. That's we don't know exactly what, we mean what I was about to say. say. A lot word. of people don't know necessarily. There's enough ignorance about what "quote unquote" socialism means on the right as there is on the left. It's it's this boogeyman on one side, and it's this weird kind of hazy panacea on the other. However, people starting to say that and starting to think that way, and starting to be uh, sympathetic and uh, empathetic. <laughs> to uh, socialistic thinking is getting them so close to where we need them all to be. That's why we need somebody who can make progressive values into mainstream values. Grub first, Grub morals first, follow. Morals follow, right? I actually think myself that uh, you know, I mean, you think we're going to work our way out of it politically, but I think eventually circumstances are going to happen with global warming and other stuff. It's going to force. What? It's going to force people to have to come together. In other words, you know, and to have, move towards a, progr- for a more progressive and direction. have not and empathy. Have. No, I mean it'll be out of out of a need for survival. It's not going to be about empathy. Yeah, it's, it's the Martian invasion argument. Yeah. yeah, except it'll be this will be the Earth, the, you know, global warming argument. It's the body snatcher. It's them. You know, it's it's yeah. the fact that we were always the people that were in charge of ourselves, except that we didn't realize that we were run by a a, a cadre of alien invaders, of pod people. I think we'll tell each other limb from limb. Unless we have... Why no empathy? I'm I'm tired of it. I've had too many... Empathy sucks. Too many years of empathy in theater. I don't want empathy anymore. I'm tired of it. You don't think it's effective? I I think it's become an absolute cliche that people could go, oh, I empathize with X, and then they walk out of the theater and and act exactly as they did when they walked in. (laughs) Everybody does that for everything, though. We have one thing well, I know, but empathy is supposed to be the magic. You know, I mean, that's, I understand know, that's supposed that. to be different than anything else. It's, I mean, it's the big thing for you. And the problem is, is that at the moment, you know what I mean? Certainly in terms of theater, it really doesn't, you know, it really doesn't. It's become a cliche. It's it's become sentimentalized. It's become hollowed out. It's become, mm-hmm. when you, what does theater mean? And instead of talking about all the things that it might have meant to the Greeks or Shakespeare or Pirandello or Chekhov, it means empathy. It means that we put ourselves in somebody else's shoes for two hours and we understand their point of view and we walk out and we go, oh my God, I didn't really, you know, I didn't really realize that. I mean, if you're talking about if art is going to tell the truth or art is going to diagnose society, and I see art as sort of diagnostic. I'm As I get older more and more, it's not so much truth. It's sort of like the same, the way the doctor tells you the truth, right? Takes the x-ray, tells you here you have cancer, here you're healthy. That's what I see artists doing. It has nothing to do with empathy. Doctors are not empathetic in a way. I mean, when they do their diagnosis, they simply look at what's going on and they tell, tell you, you what's, what's what. going on. They, they tell you dump. what's what. They tell you the straight 
dope, at least according to this doctor. Yeah. I mean, maybe the empathy can come later when you get the diagnosis. Dr. Feelgood actually right. does not tell you the story. So <laughs> to me, Pirandello or the Greeks are doing diagnosis. Yeah. Um, yeah. Someone yeah. like Aaron Sorkin is, is peddling. I mean, I'm with Lucas on this, is peddling you know, a way of looking at the world that's going to be reassuring. About real artists or real theater, there's nothing, I don't agree with Lucas, you're going to be running out screaming, but it, there's nothing, it's not necessarily reassuring because the truth, the diagnosis, is often the very thing, you, you know, you have the cancer, you have something that you, did, you don't really want to have, but you've got it and you've got it bad. Well, I think we've probably solved the political issues of the day. I'm so glad we were able to do that. I'm pretty sure uh, nobody listened to the the entire thing, and is probably not going to listen to us again. But if you want heated debates by three really uh, stupid and smart people, except Bill's just smart. Yeah, there's not a lot of stupid happening with Bill. It's too stupid and one smart Which is kind of what's difficult about dealing with Bill. You can can continue to tune in to the Arts Views podcast with me, Lucas Spiro. Myself, Matt Hansen. And me, Bill Marks. Thanks, guys.